0: That Triathlon Show 204. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode we have another Scientific Triathlon Coaches Roundtable where James, Lockie, and myself get together to discuss fatigue. How much fatigue is acceptable in your general training? How can you manage fatigue? And how do you adjust training and other lifestyle factors if you do end up carrying too much fatigue? Those are some of the things that we'll go into. But before that, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. And just over a week ago in the Ironman World Championships in Kona, PH had two sponsored pro athletes towing the line in Sarah Crowley and Carrie Lester, both from Australia. Carrie finished third, having a fantastic race, just being overtaken by Lucy Charles Barclay in the closing stages of the run. And uh, Carrie also had a great race, finishing eighth, just two seconds from seventh, having stated pre-race that her goal was a top 10. And in an interview with Precision Hydration, they uh, were asked how they use Precision Hydration products in this particular race. And uh, so Sarah said that on race day, she will use pH 1000 in the morning for preloading and pH 500 on the bike. And uh, Carrie said that she will use pH 1500 to preload and uh, pH 1000 during the race, plus sweat salt capsules during the run. You can get uh, advice for a hydration plan. You can actually get a complete free hydration plan on precisionhydration.com. Just click the free hydration plan tab in the upper menu and uh, you'll answer a few questions and uh, they'll then give you a complete hydration plan for use in your next race. You can get your first box or tube of precision hydration for free with the promo code that's show all in word all caps on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Roca that you can find on roca.com. While we are waiting to hear if there was a swimskin count in Koda this year, one thing that uh, we can at least say with certainty is that in the women's race, Lucy Charles Barclay and Lauren Brandon, who exited the water as first and second and putting five minutes into the rest of the field, they were both exiting wearing their Roka Viper swim skins. And Roka have become the leading manufacturer of swim skins, as well as wetsuits, trisuits, goggles, and high-performance eyewear for sports and casual day-to-day use. So you can find all their products on roca.com and you can use the promo code TTS, all caps, to get 20% off your order. Without any further ado, here's the discussion on fatigue with James Teagle and uh, Lachlan Kieran. So, hi James and Lockie, uh, it's uh, nice to have you back for another discussion. How are you guys doing?
1: Hey, uh, yeah, I'm
2: doing well, Yeah,
0: T- <laughs> good
1: start. <laughs> go, go on, yeah,
0: yeah, it's, it's always the, the problem with having having <laughs> three people on the same discussion that uh, and you can't see each other. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's uh, a bit of coordination. With that, but let's let's get right into the the topic. Uh, we got a listener question from uh, Sonde in Norway, who wrote, uh, "Thank you for the great podcast and insightful content." Uh, my question is, how fatigued should you feel when training? Uh, on the one hand, uh, I've heard the rule of thumb that uh, a training week should not be harder than for you to be able to repeat it four to five weeks in a row. On the other hand, they say you need to push your body to get super compensations after training and uh, then uh, in the follow-up discussion with Sondra, he asked about some some things around how to evaluate fatigue and also some specific scenarios like what to do if you are just in the last hard week before an easy week and so on but we'll get into these uh, these things uh as uh, we go through the discussion but the general topic here is how fatigued should you be when training and how to deal with and and manage that fatigue so i guess a good place to start is to to make some definitions i guess and discuss around fatigue in general and the first thing that that i think we should discuss is comparing acute fatigue with chronic or accumulated fatigue fatigue what's the difference between those and should we treat them differently so uh let's start with uh, lucky
2: yeah well i mean if we roll back to that question um you know i think the the key point there is how fatigued should we be when we're training so are we talking about um for a a single session or are we talking about throughout the course of the week? And I guess that's where we come to this acute versus um, chronic or accumulated fatigue, as, as you said. And um, I think when we, when I consider acute fatigue, you know, it, it's usually fairly clear where that's coming from. So it might be, you know, a, a big session or it might be a session where, especially if it was a hot session, um, I, I find dehydration is something that really contributes to that kind of acute fatigue. Um but when I consider acute fatigue, it comes down to one or two sessions or days in a row where we kind of see it um, come up, and, and I think it is quite manageable, and that's probably the difference between that real chronic fatigue, which um, can take a long time to alleviate. Um, that acute fatigue usually to me, um, if, if we take the right steps, we can kind of get ourselves out of it fairly quickly in the scheme of things um and then when i consider the the chronic or accumulated fatigue that's more that fatigue that we're building up over days and weeks and, and even months and um you know i guess the the other thing i want to kind of point out for both of these things is that um they're not necessarily just caused by training so um acute fatigue could be something like a poor night's sleep um chronic fatigue could be, you know, the job has that you work at has become super stressful over the last few months, but you've been trying to just maintain the same level of training, and um, you know, whilst the training hasn't changed, you've had this outside stress from work. And that's what's causing the accumulated fatigue.
1: Yeah, James, anything to to add? I think that I think that rounds up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, for me, acute fatigue is the fatigue that you you know you get from from a hard training session. You can pretty much identify where it's come from, as Lockie said, and you can you can you know you can alleviate it with rest. You know if you're smart around it, accumulated fatigue is you know that that kind of fatigue that like as like you said doesn't have to come from training, but you know, builds up over time. Uh, it's just you, know, you start feeling slightly more lethargic. You know your your training performance isn't isn't quite so good. You know you start to have a bit of you know bad attitudes training or low no motivation to life in general. And that's when you know you get an accumulated, you know, accumulated or, or chronic fatigue uh, is starting to kick in. It's just about managing that, you know, making sure that it doesn't get that far that it it does become chronic fatigue and it becomes a real a real issue. But yeah, I think I think Lockie just summed it up pretty well, so um, I'll leave it there.
0: Yeah, I, I agree uh, totally. Like if if you do a hard session, there there are certain types of sessions that uh, can take forty eight hours to recover from. So that uh, two day window that Larky mentioned is. Uh, could uh, definitely be be seen as just being acute fatigue, and we don't need to be too concerned about having a couple of days when when we are fatigued, because that must, might just be like the immediate effect of, of one training session or a couple of sessions. But but if we get to like three plus uh, consecutive days of fatigue, then that's where where we can consider it more accumulated and not probably not from just a single session, and that's where we maybe need to start to dig dig a bit deeper.
1: Yeah, I mean it's, it's probably worth. Yeah, and look- so, sorry I was just gonna I was just gonna mention it's probably worth uh just mentioning that you know you are gonna feel some fatigue and you know whatever training pro- program you do there there should be some element of fatigue in there um it's just about managing it so it's not completely avoiding fatigue but but just knowing what what's a manageable level of fatigue and you know what's what's pushing too far
2: yeah i think I think it's also important to remember that you know the, the two aren't mutually exclusive i mean accumulated fatigue is just essentially you know um too many bouts of acute fatigue without enough you know period for recovery or adaptation in between them really um and so you know how do you achieve that accumulated fatigue is that you know say let's just say you can handle 100% but you go to 110% over 5 days and that causes accumulated fatigue or are you doing 101% for 3 months um you know if i was just using something like that but you know there's there 's many ways to get to that accumulated or chronic chronically fatigued state, um, but they all include you know bouts of acute fatigue that just aren 't recovered from properly
0: yeah absolutely it 's that balance between between stress and and recovery so let 's discuss then the different types of fatigue we can feel and uh, I have a list of four here uh, that that I sent to you, but you might have something else to add that i didn 't even think about but but the ones that I have listed are muscular fatigue, essential or nervous system fatigue, and just general fatigue. I don't know if there might be a better term for that, but just feeling tired and fatigued in general in your day-to-day life, and finally, mental fatigue. Uh, So what are your thoughts about these? Should we treat them more or less the same or differently, or do they uh, pose similar concerns if we have them for a prolonged period of time, or are there some that are
1: more concerning than than others? Uh, James, what are your thoughts? um so obviously there's you know you identified those four types of fatigue so um you know i think generally fatigue fatigue is fatigue and you know if it's coming from work it's coming from life it's you know it's it's still fatigue i think you do you do need to approach them slightly differently depending on which type of fatigue so to the list of fatigues that i have are uh metabolic so that's the you know the excessive you no know, caused by excessive training uh with inadequate recovery you know you need a bit of that for part of normal adaptation but um you need to also make sure you're covering you know so you're actually getting a benefit from training you got central nervous system fatigue so that's a lack of you know um lack of power production or a lack of you know a lack of good motivation when it's coming from a uh, neural fatigue uh, you got uh, peripheral nervous system fatigue which is you know, more more localized and um in your muscles, you know, you're feeling a lack lack of power or maybe maybe a certain muscle. So you know, it may be that uh, biceps or, some, or something if you've done a lot of stuff in the gym or a lot of swimming. Uh, you know, you've got psychological fatigue. So, you know, if you're going up, coming up to a competition, you're feeling really nervous. You know, that's going to take a lot of energy out of you. You know, you're going to feel fatigue from that. Or, you know, maybe it's something that's completely out of training. So maybe it's, you know, monetary. Maybe it's, you know, family related. Maybe there's something going on. You know, because something going on at home, and you know that's going to add into your training environment. And it's going to make you feel feel fatigued. Um, and the final one I I have, which I don't know how many people will identify as uh, environmental fatigue. So, you know, making sure that you don't become stale, making sure that you know you you have something to to motivate you, and uh, you know something to get out of bed in the morning. So, if you, for example, if you're doing exactly the same thing, you're training with exact same people, you're training exactly the same place, you know, your training program isn't changing. Maybe you're doing exactly the same nine to five job every day. Uh, you know, you're going to be a stale and, you know, that's what I deem environmental fatigue. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just it's about managing those fatigues. And like I say, each one does need need a different approach. Um, but then fatigue is fatigue. So you know, it's going to have an effect on your, on your performance no matter where it's coming from. Would you say if uh, we continue with you for a while there that, uh, that one of
0: them you need to react to? quicker than others for example if you uh if you have a bit of uh like psychological fatigue as you mentioned it a bit of lack of motivation you can just push through it even though you have that for like for a week or two whereas something else like the metabolic fatigue or or peripheral peripheral ner- uh, nervous system fatigue where you feel that you you just don't have the power production in your muscles that those maybe are a sign that actually you've pushed your body a bit too far so now it's time to to recover or how do you well
1: how would you deal with those differences I think I think you've got to be you look at where the fatigue's coming from so you know I think I think it's dangerous to say you know you can just push through the mental fatigue I mean there will be there will be times where you can definitely push through it um but it's actually being you know being able to identify where, where that's come from I think this is something that athletes do struggle with a fair bit and you know the people doing triathlon are generally athletes who you know are very motivated so You know, when it comes down to psychological fatigue, I think, you know, just being really careful and making sure, you know, if it is coming from a competition, then just identifying that and being, okay, this is this is what's causing that. But if it's something else, if it's, you know, you're not enjoying your training, if it's, you know, something completely outside of training, then, you know, make sure that you can't address that because it's not going to get any better unless it's addressed. Um, In terms of metabolic fatigue and, uh, you know, central nervous system fatigue, then, yeah, you know that's something you can address straight away and you don't want it getting too far so you know if you let yourself you know become too fatigued in the metabolic sense then then that will build up and it will become chronic fatigue or you know you'll get injured or something so it's it's a fine balance it's like walking a tightrope um but you definitely don't want to let any of these fatigues get get too far lucky what are your thoughts
2: Yeah, look, I mean, that was obviously a very good discussion and I I tend to agree that there's probably some interplay between all of them and that's important to recognize. And I guess, you know, you pose the question at what point does it become concerning? And I think um, from a coaching perspective anyway, it's about, and I'm sure you guys agree, that any fatigue probably needs to be identified firstly. um, And then, you know, over time we can decide if it becomes concerning but I think the first step really is actually identifying it and trying to pinpoint you know what that's stemming from and and as we kind of talked about before if we can look back and see you know there's there's a good reason for that fatigue and it's to be expected in you know an acute sense then um it's probably less concerning but if if we kind of look back and see that this is something that has been building up over time and you know, if we're using something like training peaks um We can use a lot of, you know, both the objective and subjective data to kind of, you know, assess that. Um, I think that's probably the point where it becomes concerning. And, you know, I guess furthermore to that, um, it's certainly concerning if it's affecting your day-to-day life. So if it's affecting your ability to, um, you know, not only train, but go out and do everything else in life. and. Um, you know, keep your relationships strong, and, and go to work, and craft a family—all of those kind of things. Um, then it's definitely a concern that's that's relevant to you, and it's something that probably has to be addressed, you know, in your training.
0: So, with if, if we have identified uh, a certain type of fatigue, and and we sort of we have also identified where it's coming from—that it might be the training load uh, versus recovery has been a bit too high, or it might be something like your job has become more stressful. Can you just? give a couple of examples of uh, what the, the the solutions what what we what, what we do to to get rid of that fatigue might be and there are some obvious ones of course but but maybe you have some some that are a bit less obvious so that the, the listeners can get an idea of, of the different ways that we can sort of treat uh, these uh, different types of fatigue
2: yeah look to me i think the big three that are probably you know the two that are most easily addressable is nutrition and hydration. I think both of those. Are, no matter your situation, you can pretty much address those. So if if we kind of look back and see that perhaps there's been a lack of energy availability, um, that that's fairly easily addressable in you know the very short term. Um, I guess another one is sleep, and you know I've, I harp on about this all the time, but it's so important and um, for some people, that is an easy thing to address, but I also understand that uh, if it's something like you know small children waking up in the middle of the night, it's not really something that you know we can address in that sense. So if it's something like that, I think we then have to look at the training and try and work out. Perhaps you know we don't train in the morning. It might just be that we have to back off a couple of mornings and stop getting up early to try and train, and just give yourself a chance to actually have that extra couple of hours of sleep for it could be a week it could be two weeks it could be more but um you know if we're just going into training completely fried all the time then um we have to kind of assess if we're getting the benefit out of it that we want so perhaps that means backing off the volume a little bit um but keeping the quality there
0: yeah i would, I would agree um, with that that's a, I i guess sorry go on
2: sorry i was gonna say i guess you know they're fairly obvious things um You know, and around sleep, you know, things like sleep hygiene is is also another thing that's just really easily addressable. Getting off, you know, the electronic devices, you know, 30 minutes before bed or or whatever it is that works for you. Um, And I guess another one, and um, it's probably something that I've come on to a bit more lately, is just, um, some things just surrounding your mental health it might be meditation or um, mindfulness that kind of thing if you can find 20 minutes a day for that i think uh, over time you know that can make a fairly difference just in terms of um, your stress levels
0: yeah and i think that the the research around meditation and mindfulness even points to that something like seven minutes might be enough i think i've seen something like that that the minimal effective dose is around seven minutes per day so so it doesn't have to be a lot it just has to be
2: frequent Uh, yeah i I would agree oh well can if you, if you consider the amount of time most people spend on social media every day, I'm sure a lot could find 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right on there with like nutrition and hydration that if you, that's an easy fix in many cases. You can keep your training load, but you might not be doing an optimal job with uh, with uh, replenishing glycogen and replenishing uh, lost fluid. So getting the fluid balance right in, in your body and that, that way you can in some cases probably get get out of that fatigue without having to change training. And that's of course how you can sort of maximize the training that you can handle without, uh, without changing the training load. But, but if that doesn't work and obviously sleep being another really big one, then, uh, addressing the training load and, uh, and the recovery is, is going to be probably what's, what's necessary. Do, do you have anything
2: for sure? And I think, Oh, I just wanted to add, um, you know at any point if fatigue is affecting your biomechanics especially um running and and swimming are probably the two where that is likely to happen then it certainly needs to be addressed because you know running we're looking at injuries swimming yes injuries as well but also just poor technique which is not something that we want to just be necessarily you know um digging ourselves a hole with poor technique all the time yeah
0: james do you have anything anything to add to that
1: um, the only thing I'd add to that is just to just remember why you're doing the training. So, you know, you're not training to be tired. Um and I think some athletes, you know you know, I I've definitely coached some athletes in the past who definitely feel, you know, they've got to be tired from training. Um uh, you're you're training to be you're training to be a better athlete. So you're trying to do whatever you can to become a better athlete. And as as you mentioned, you know, that involves Rest. It involves, you know, nutrition. It involves you know, making sure you're getting all the little things right. Making sure you're stretching. Making sure you get the mobility. Making sure your heads and you know heads in a good place. So, you know, yes, accept fatigue, but but don't just keep training and training and training and think, you know, I've got to do this volume, I've got to do this intensity, or or I'm not going to race well on race day. Just just have a have a think about actually, you know, is this the right thing for me? You know, maybe maybe if you got a coach and you're lucky like that, that you can discuss it with them, but. you you don't want to be just just putting yourself in a hole and just just digging that hole you know it's not going to help you in the long run you've got to be smart about the training you're doing and you know if you need to take a bit of a break if you need to miss a couple of sessions then 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 you know that's that's the right thing to do
0: yeah uh perfect and uh let's address directly the one of the questions or points that uh, that's under raised in his uh message here uh he mentions there the on the one, the one school of thought of uh, having weeks that are repeatable for four to five consecutive weeks versus uh, something that is also very common, for example, something like two weeks hard, uh, one week easy, or even three weeks hard, one week easy, uh, for potentially better super compensation. I think like it's difficult to. Uh, I don't think there's any evidence for that, but but that's maybe the the thought behind that. Uh, what what are your thoughts around that specific theme? Like, do you really want to? The weeks to be repeatable over a longer term or do you uh, tend to follow more, something like a two-to-one or a three-to-one sort of schedule?
1: I think in in terms of training it, it needs to be consistent so, so whatever you do it needs to be consistent because consistency is is what really drives you know performance changes and you know actually adaptation. I've seen obviously people do both these styles personally I prefer the you know four to five week repeatability with you know making sure you've got enough rest in there so so the first thing you do when you plan your training is you plan the rest. So you put the rest in. Okay. This is where I'm going to get you know, the time, the time might off. So, you know, do all the work I need to do, you know, catch up on life, you know, be with family and, and you know, obviously make sure that you're not getting, not getting too fatigued. Um, in terms of that, then obviously that allows a lot greater consistency. You know, you can tick each week off, uh, with, with a four to five week repeatability approach, you know, you want to make sure that essentially the weeks aren't weeks aren't impossible so you know each week you should finish you know you probably have a bit of tiredness but you know actually in the long run you can tick off each weekend you know it, you know it's doable um so that that's the approach i go through for the, the four to five week method and you know at the end of four to five weeks and you might consider having you know a rest week um you know before you start the next block in terms of you know two weeks two weeks on one week off and i've seen i've seen a lot of athletes do this and you know i've seen a lot of High level athletes do this, and you know, I've seen a lot of high level athletes do the other, the other method as well. Um, actually, in terms of that, I think it works really well if, you know, if you're a person who, you know, pushes yourself quite hard and, you know, does have quite a lot of stuff going on outside your life. No, maybe you've got a lot of stuff that just builds up and you need to get on top of. So, you know, training for two weeks, you know, fairly hard and then, um, you know, fairly hard, you know, with a wink face, you know, not, not, not massively hard, but consistently, um, and having that. That week off where, you know, you can have a bit of downtime, you know, maybe pulling back the hours. So, you know, if you're doing 20 hours a week, pulling it back to 12 12 hours a week, that that kind of thing, Um, catching up in all your admin work, Um, but then just doing that consistently. So I think, you know, as long as you're doing either method consistently, it it can work. Um, It does definitely work better for some athletes than others, the two weeks on, one week off. Um, So I think you've got to play around your individual circumstances and, you know, play around with it yourself, but... As an athlete, you'll probably find a, you know, have a preference for either, t- either two, either one of the two. Um, but yeah, like I say, personally, because it allows more consistency, uh, you know, from my perspective, and you know, it allows you to, to take off a greater, greater amount of sessions, you know, in the long run without, without overdoing it. Um, you know, especially if you're not, not that controlled about the training you're doing, I do prefer the, the four to five week method. Um, what are your guys' thoughts? So, just a follow up question on that. would you say
0: then that you think that the two weeks on one week off works best for athletes that have that specific scenario where they they really have a lot of things going on, so the one week off is also like really important for them to be able to catch up on things that they haven't had time to do in the two weeks on and and they might still the training that they would do in more of a four to five week scenario might be a bit too high in terms of volume that they can really be able to get on top of all of those things would that be like a main determinant for you in whether that specific schedule is going to work for the athlete
1: yeah it would be a it will be a major determinant so you know if i'm honest for me i'd I'd much rather go the four to five week because i think that does allow more consistency but that said i know that for some athletes that's not it's not going to be possible um Um, so actually getting, it's more consistent to do two weeks on, one week off, you know, because, you know, life just builds up and, uh, you know, you need to get on top of that. It also gives you that bit of a mental break. So especially if you're doing very high volume, it gives gives you that kind of mental break to actually just, just chill out a bit and, you know, um, pull back on the training. So I think, yeah, it does depend on the athlete's circumstances. Uh, there's not a right or wrong. Um, either way I found to be successful with, with the athletes I coach, um, but you know, it's it's being selective about about who you apply it to, and you know, actually knowing knowing the athletes really well, or you know, if you're coaching yourself, being honest with yourself, and actually, you know, being able to apply the best strategy. But in the end, you want you want the consistency. So when you look back at it at the end of the year, it's it's the consistency that that really mattered. And what do you think
0: about let's say age groupers that are training around ten hours per week, eight eight to eight to twelve hours per week? Would uh, the forty five week schedule work better for the majority of
1: them or or the two too hard one easy sort of schedule I think you got you got to look at it actually what's going on outside their lives so although they might be training 10 hours a week you know they might be working you know 55 60 hours a week if you know if you got a very high demanding job so actually if that's the case you know two weeks on one week off might might be not, might be the best way forward but then I think with, with 10 hours a week you could probably be a bit more consistent you know without without knowing the athlete in general so you know don't apply this to yourself if you know it's a, it's a generalized term but um you know you can probably be more consistent and you can probably consistently you know take off those weeks just ensuring you're getting enough enough rest in, in them and then like as I say at the end of a five-week period then then potentially have that that rest week um yeah it does depend on on your your personal circumstances outside of training as well as as inside training yeah really good lucky what are your thoughts
2: um look I I mean, when I kind of think about this, you know, this two weeks on one week off and, and catching up on stuff during that week, I, I tend to get a little bit worried in that scenario. Um, I think that's, you know, putting putting things off for two weeks and then spending your quote-unquote easy week um, filled with a bunch of other stuff that actually in itself causes fatigue. Um, you know, maybe that is admin maybe you're painting the house, maybe you're doing the gardening. Um, whatever it is, I think – um, eventually, that catches up over time and, and eventually you know you start seeing these these that one week having all that stuff but not being able to feel all that stuff in that one week and it coming across onto the other two and and then does that does that one week off actually is it really truly an easy week um, and, and that's what I think we really have to consider here um, so in my perspective, I think that that you know two or three hard and then and then one easy probably works best for uh, the the top end or elite athlete who has a lot of time, and um, you know they're not necessarily doing much outside of sport. Um, in terms of the majority of people, and, and certainly the majority of people that I coach, I, I do like that repeatability. And I think um, f- for self-coach athletes, I, I would like, to, I would probably say, pick some some key sessions for the week that you really want to nail, and, and adapt you know your training around those, and when they fit based on what comes up in that week. If if there's you know if it's a big work week with lots of nights and you have two key sessions that have to get done in the morning then perhaps you know you you need to adjust the rest of the week to reflect that and have some more sleep on the other days uh, that kind of thing but yeah as james mentioned i think the consistency over time for the majority of the year outside of specific race builds is um to me the most important thing and um i guess that's what where what I'm always working towards in my athletes is just ensuring that we get that consistency over everything else. Um Because I think no matter how you look at this sport, uh, it, it does take time and consistency. And and if we can nail that first, then I think that's probably our, our best road to um, success in the long term.
0: Yeah, that that is absolutely true. I think there are great arguments for for both sides, and and as as you both said, like you you need to find what what works for the individual athletes, where there's not a right or, or wrong answer there. I think I find that something that I do quite often with an athlete is that it, the pattern sort of changes based on where they are in the season. So right now, if uh, we we're talking about athletes that have their racing season in sort of May through September, so they're maybe just coming back from from their time off now we would definitely aim for that something a week that is repeatable week in, week out for a long, long time. But then as we get closer to the race in the race specific preparation, that's maybe when we try to go for slightly harder weeks. And, and that's when, when it might change to doing actually something like two weeks hard and one week significantly easier. So, uh, so that's uh, something that that quite a few of my athletes do it. of the pattern sort of changes based on where, where they are in the season. So, uh, do, do you guys do anything like that with uh, changing it based on the time of, of year?
2: Well, I just wanted to just to say there, um, you know, I think the other thing to consider here is if we are going, to, you know, for that model where we're trying to find a bit of a structured week that fits around life, I, I think it's also important to remember that you should never be afraid to just take a week where perhaps everything's under 75%. You're certainly not going to lose any fitness doing that. Um and if that's what is called for, you know, maybe you've only done one quote-unquote hard week, but if if life happens and, and it requires an easier week, I, I wouldn't be afraid to put it in. Um, you know, I think that we have this, if we get into this rigid structure of two hard, one off, or three hard, one easy, that that kind of thing, um, we can sometimes, you know, be sucked into having to hit those three hard weeks in a row and, and be afraid of putting in that easy week. Um but yeah as you said and certainly it is dependent on on where they are in the year I think for a lot of athletes they can definitely dedicate you know maybe it's anywhere from 6 to 10 weeks to a specific race build and you know it's throughout those throughout that build they kind of have um a little bit more leeway into in terms of what they can do and where they can put their energy and I think during that time we can probably consider some other you know techniques if it is that 3 on 1 off or 2 on 1 off that kind of thing um into the race but yeah i think in other parts of the year where we're that more general quote unquote phase um then it's through those points that i think just having you know repeatable weeks is really important
0: yeah and i also think one thing that can have an impact here is how prone the athlete is to to fatigue so uh, so for example somebody that is quite prone to fatigue but is still a a pretty good pretty advanced athlete then in those cases, maybe something like like a couple of harder weeks and one week easy might be good because they get a like a stronger sort of recovery block in there, but also they get enough training stimulus to to improve if they're already at a good level if they are at a more beginner level then definitely having like something more sustainable is probably going to be to be better but But I think that that how prone the athlete is to fatigue has a big impact as well. Somebody that is less prone to fatigue. Uh, probably would or might do much better by having something that is more consistent over a longer period of time like like four to five weeks
2: yeah and i think taking a back step there you know the first step always has to be actually being very realistic about what the minimum effective dose of training is and i think for a lot of people it's probably a lot less than than what they imagine it is
0: yeah 100 percent. that's very true so let's move on to assessing fatigue, and uh, there are definitely various things that we can uh, we can use, both objective and, and subjective. Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts around uh, different objective and subjective measures? Uh, when when are we actually fatigued? And do you have any like thresholds that you that you use to decide whether an athlete is
1: fatigued or not? So James, uh, let's uh, start with you. So, so in terms of fatigue, so you, I use things like uh, heart rate and heart rate variance. So, you know, if your heart rate starts getting, you know, very low, then you know that that's a sign of fatigue. You know, obviously, we use heart rate variance, and you know, a lot of a lot of people do use that, and it is really useful for monitoring training as long as you do it consistently. Um, but I don't think every athlete needs to do that. For me, the most the most important the most the most effective way of actually m- monitoring fatigue and mind fatigue in the athletes I coach is by just asking them. I don't think, you know, that conversation can be replaced. So you have that conversation with your athlete. You have a you know, even if you're being, not being coached, you know, have a conversation with someone else. And actually, does this look like fatigue? Does it look like unsustainable fatigue? I think, you know, actually having that communication and having that discussion, you know, on a day-to-day basis is the best way. You know, so if you're coaching an athlete, you, you build up a relationship with them. And you know what their normal looks like. And you know what their, their fatigue looks like. And, you know, from that, you can identify actually, you know, are they pushing too hard or, or are they not? Obviously, you've got things like, you know, sleep disruption, um, you know, uh, not eating so well, you know, having a bad attitude to life, uh, you know, low motivation, feeling lethargic. All, all of that adds up. But actually, I think the best way of you know, catching fatigue early is just, just to have that honest and you know, frank discussion with your athletes as, or the athletes you coach as as much as possible. So I think obviously you can use things like heart rate and heart rate variance and you know all of the technology that goes along with it, but I don't think that's replaced actually that that conversation and that actual you know face to face human human interaction or you know, just the communication. So uh, how,
0: how do you, how do you determine if uh, if you need to change training using uh, well then uh, that that conversation and subjective feedback as uh, the primary. Uh, primary measure of, of fatigue is it by asking the athlete so so for how many days has this been going on and if it's for like too many days then you decide that okay we need to to address this
1: uh, is is that sort of how how you do it well so f- first of all you know for the training plans you know so for the athletes you know the ap- training I give my athletes obviously you're trying to avoid you know excessive fatigue there should be an element of fatigue though in, in their program um, so it's identifying you know Actually, is it, is it just fatigue from, from a certain session that actually you'd expected? Or is it, is it accumulated fatigue? Is it getting too much? You know, is there those outside factors? And I think having that, having that conversation with the athlete allows you to identify that. So, you know, you could have put, you know, the best, the best training plan, the best training structure in, you know, that's, that's ever been made. But, um, actually, you know, you don't realize that, you know, the athletes you're coaching or, you know, if you are coaching yourself, actually, Something from work you know really kicks off, and actually you've got a big project on at work, or you know something like like we mentioned earlier, maybe maybe family life, something like that some something's not going so well that there wasn't planned um and suddenly that becomes a big fatigue factor now, as a coach, you know maybe you just on training peaks you you can't see that all you can see is okay, so it ticks off this session well, you know this session was a bit b- below par, you know the heart was a bit low on the tempo, but yeah, it was okay, um you know that kind of thing is what you see on training peaks uh but actually. Having that that face to face, or you know, that that discussion on the phone, or, or whatever, uh, allows you to to make those decisions where actually you're you're taking into account all the variables. And you know, once you've been coaching an athlete for a while, you know that you know what their their individual circumstances are. You know what's normal for them, so actually you can identify. You know, is this going to be a lot of tea that you know you weren't expecting? And you know, is it is it something that that's unusual? And if the case is yes, then then maybe you need to adapt what what you have planned. And you know focus on it in a a different way
0: lucky what are your thoughts around this question
2: yeah look i think in terms of objective measures um you know i think i've probably got a fairly good bank of data just coming off melbourne winter um with sickness going around and stuff and you can certainly see especially with heart rate um you do see that elevated heart rate for a few days, um, as long as the athlete's fairly consistent on when they're taking it uh, in the day. Uh, if it's just upon waking, um, you know, I've had a few examples this year where you can kind of see, um, you know, the family's been sick and and the the heart rate's just coming up over a few days, and lo and behold, um, they they do end up on the verge of sickness potentially. Um, in terms of in terms of HRV, I guess I've personally used uh, HRV for training, which. Um, I think is is a very good program. Um, do I use it with my athletes, uh, their day-to-day recommendations? I, I mean, not really. If you wake up and have, you know, your HIV is, you know, severely depressed one day, I don't think that's necessarily a cause for concern. I think, you know, there are a lot of factors that can play into that. And if you took the measurement two hours later, you'd probably get a different number. But if we're seeing um, a trend over time where HIV is, is really down, then that's when we kind of have to look into it, I think. Um, and I've had a few athletes working with the WHOOP strap lately, Um I guess what we've found with that is that the first uh, month or so is certainly a bit of a teething period where it's um it's kind of getting a bit of a, a vibe about your body and how you work. So, um, yeah, the first month with the whoop strap, I, I found with my athletes tends to be a little bit up and down in terms of the recovery scores. Um In terms of sleep, uh, sleep monitoring devices, how accurate are they? I'm not necessarily sure, but, um, you know, if we're seeing, if an athlete is self-reporting lack of sleep or or bad sleep, I think that's a a fairly good indication if it ties in with some other things. You know, if we're seeing decreased performance or high RPE in the training, then, you know, we can put two and two together fairly fairly quickly. Um, In terms of uh, subjectively, I think that, a really good litmus test for a lot of athletes and and including myself and I'm sure you guys will agree is is swimming especially swimming without equipment um you know I think I think when you you are genuinely very fatigued that you see that swim form um is the first thing that, that really suffers um so if athletes are reporting that they're really struggling in the pool to maintain body position and a good stroke um especially for longer intervals then I tend to find that is a really good indication that potentially we need to take a step back on some of the the biking and running.
1: That's a, that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah I and mean, that's a, that's a really. Yeah, I was going to say the same. <laughs> yeah, uh, swimming definitely. You know, you definitely see the fatigue first. You know, unless you've got a real, you know, pure swimmer from a pure swim background, which is you know the only exceptions I can think of. You know, knowing people who who are who are that, but yeah, generally with most triathletes, you know, I agree the swim form is the first thing that goes and you can really identify the fatigue from that. Yeah. So yeah, I and mean, that's worth bearing in mind.
0: I'll add a couple of points here. Um, yeah. I think for me, the, the most important uh, objective measure is uh, actually performance. If, uh, if you see reduced performance for one or two days, then it's not uh, a cause for concern. But again, it's that trend. Like if you see it, I tend to think about like a, a three day rule. If something happens for three consecutive days, so you have reduced performance for, three consecutive days or maybe it's three consecutive uh, quality workouts it doesn't have to be three consecutive days necessarily but uh, that is uh, a course to at least uh, look into things and uh, and dig a bit deeper and and ask the athlete how how they're feeling and uh, and that definitely should be combined with uh, the perceived fatigue and the perceived effort in in those workouts which the athlete should should be reporting how they're feeling and if that trend also is that uh, they're feeling more fatigue or they they have to uh, put out a bigger effort to hit their numbers, then uh, that's uh, that's to me is a sign that that we might be be accumulating fatigue. And and again, accumulating fatigue, it depends on how much you accumulate, and uh, it doesn't mean that we should change things. But at some point, you need to take the decision if you think that maybe we're accumulating too too much fatigue. But then,
2: uh, yeah, look, so, yeah. Oh, Go on. I was just going to say, you know, it's probably harder in the swim, but if we're looking at the bike um, just completely objectively, um, heart rate to power or heart rate to pace or in the, in the run the same thing, heart rate to pace, um, I tend to think if we're, if we're looking at sub, sub kind of threshold intervals, um, you know, we want to see the heart rate to power or pace come down over time, but if we're then looking at um, – you know, you know, high end VO two max interval kind of things. If, if we see the heart rate actually being lower and suppressed, I think that's, you know, a good sign of fatigue as well. Um, you know, I don't think it. we should always correlate a lower heart rate to power as, as necessarily a sign of gaining fitness. Sometimes, you know, it is actually suppressed, um, because you're tired.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I've definitely been there myself where I had super low heart rate for my sub-threshold, um, just easy endurance running. And uh, my heart rate to power or heart rate to pace would have been fantastic, but uh, it was definitely uh, at the point of uh, too much accumulated fatigue. But but what you say there with, uh, I think, the suppressed heart rate, lower heart rate in, in those high-intensity intervals, that's really a really good place to sort of identify fatigue as well Uh, that I do I do use HRV uh, quite a lot I think that it's great I also use HRV for training uh, like you and and to me it's brilliant but it's not in isolation it's not uh, completely reliable you need to combine that as well with things like performance data self-reported sleep quantity and and quality uh, even motivation and and of course those performance and perceived fatigue Metrics, but but I do think that HRV and resting heart rate they they do provide really really uh, good additional information to to make you uh, to to help you make better better decisions and and I I think that it correlates really nicely with uh, quite often when you look at uh, how the baseline the train trend changes rather than just day-to-day variations which may be outliers there there might be various reasons for a one day where it's off but but when you look at the baseline whether it's stable or going up or going down that's that's when you really get i can make some really good inference yeah and
2: just i mean if you were to simply train off what the hrv for training app for instance told you that day, i don't think that it would be a bad thing um is it optimal i'm not sure but um yeah I certainly don't think that you would find yourself in a bad position and doing not enough intensity if you followed it um having used that quite a lot myself
0: I, I agree and actually it's uh, funny that you mentioned it because I'm uh, planning to now during this uh general preparation phase at least a couple of my athletes we're actually going to try that uh, for them to uh like really train according to to that advice we'll have some specific instructions around how to interpret the hrv reading so it's not necessarily exactly what the app says but how we interpret the hrv with all the information that's out there now but there's also a couple of uh, or at least three or four i think really good studies where they've done that hrv guided training versus uh, just following a rigid structure but that's not what you should do anyway a rigid structure like you should always of course have your head in it so whether you use hrv or not you should be able to make make adjustments when you if you just feel like crap or things like that, so so it's not maybe a fair comparison in those studies. But those studies studies have seen good results for HRV guided training.
1: Yeah, I think you need to need to stay in. You know, HRV is is very very important. Um, you know, and it's very useful. Um, I think just just bear in mind that you know you should probably stay in, in tune with your feelings. So not relying on it. You know, as you say, you know you're you're going to try and use it as as a like, as the guide. Um, but I think it's also important that you do you know, recognize what those feelings feel like. So you know, as an athlete, you can recognize what, what fatigue feels like. So you're not completely reliant on it just in case, you know, for whatever reason you don't have it or, you know, just to, just better yourself as an athlete, just, just so you can identify actually, you know, I am feeling fatigued and actually in the long run, you know, your experience builds up and, you know, so you can identify it before, before it comes an issue uh, in the future, potentially, if, if you don't have access to technology for whatever reason, maybe you go on a training camp and maybe you lose, you know, you lose your heart rate, monitor, Uh, That kind of thing. So actually, you know, using the technology, but also making sure that you have, you know, the ability to to make those decisions, you know, from from your own experience as well. For sure, that that's the most important, even more important than performance, because
0: maybe your power meter stops working, it's out of battery or whatever, and then, or it's just not measuring accurately. So then you even lose that ability to to use performance to to identify fatigue. So at the end of the day, like your perception of your body being in tune with your bodies is is, uh, absolutely the most important thing Mm. so if we discuss like when is uh, fatigue what is an acceptable level of fatigue especially when it comes to like accumulated fatigue and and when when do we make changes uh lucky how how do you uh, when would you uh make changes to something whether it's training or maybe just telling the athlete look you need to eat more or you need to sleep more or whatever it is when is the fatigue level that you identify big enough that you would make some sort of change or intervention
2: well i think if we you know look at probably the biggest picture if we i never want an athlete to get to a point where they're just not enjoying the sport anymore because the reality is you know the reason that we're doing this is enjoyment and um no matter what level you're at, if it's, you know, I'm sure Yarn wouldn't be doing triathlon anymore if he didn't like it. Um, there's plenty of other things he could be out doing. So, you know, the the underlying, you know, thing for all athletes is enjoyment of the sport. So um, if I see an athlete getting to a point where, you know, motivation is is very low and I see them, you know, going towards that, then I'm, I'm, I'm quite worried. So, um, you know, I think, you know, when we talk about those different kinds of fatigue, Um, Does that necessarily mean, you know, if it is a motivation thing and a bit of a mental fatigue, does that necessarily mean that we have to put in an easy week? I'm not so sure. Perhaps, you know, in that case, it might just mean that we have to put in a week with a lot of variability in terms of, you know, it might be terrain, it might be the session type, you know, giving the athletes a bit of freedom to go out and just do what they want for a week and be unstructured, you know, that could be the solution. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, let's just cut back 50% of the hours or X amount of intensity, Um, you know, so I think that's probably one consideration. Look, and if we're talking about uh, objectively, uh, if I see more than kind of three or four days of elevated morning heart rate, I, I will have a conversation with the athlete. And James touched on that before. I mean, yes, the the objective stuff is important, but, um, it's also important to have a, the conversation, you know, if, if we're just looking at training peaks, it doesn't really mean much, you know, the athlete might say, oh, well, actually, you know, two of those readings were after I had three coffees and, uh, it was, you know, I just forgot to take it in the morning. You know, that's not something that you'd necessarily see. So, Um, you know, I think that's important as well. Um, In terms of actual performance, you know, I I don't think that we want to get to a point of fatigue where, you know, athletes are unable day in, day out to push at least the intensity that they have been previously um, unless there's been a break or something. You know, if they've been training consistently and we're seeing performances start to decline, then I think that's probably a worry, you know. Um, that's probably when we need to take a step back and understand why that's happening. And um, at that point, I think we need to probably have a bit of an intervention and, and make a plan of attack to, to get back to where they were.
0: What, what for you is the like the threshold there for, I mean, there, there's got to be some margin of error. So if last week they did their sweet spot intervals at 300 watts and this week they do a very similar workout at 295, it, would that be acceptable? And, and what is sort of the... Too, too much of a change compared to last week where, where you would consider it like not hitting the same level
2: yeah well i mean i also think you have to consider um are they even starting the reps you know i think that's probably if we get to a point where they're going i can't even i'm doing one or two reps and i'm just completely fried and last week they were doing eight that's definitely a worry right but if it was 300 watts and this week they did 280, but they still got, you know, the same, they still got 60 minutes of work done. Well, you know, we all know that, say, threshold in any sport isn't, it's an ever moving target, right? Like day to day, it's not the same. Um, it's merely just a measure of what, where you were on a certain point on a certain day. And we use that for zones or, or levels or what, or ranges, whatever you want to call it. But the one thing all those things have in common is that they are a, a range that, you know, it's never just a set target. Um, and I think that's probably changed a little bit in the last couple of years with the introduction of erg mode um, to the masses. Um, I think that probably, uh, you know, athletes will just chase a number that's set on erg mode and and week to week not change it and not listen to the body so much. So, um, you know, we're kind of working backwards in that sense, where instead of looking at say the power um, to perceived effort, you know, that they. they you know, previously they might have just gone at 7 out of 10, say, um, and the power would be what it would be, whereas now they're, they're just going to go at the same powers and, and then we have to address, well, was the perceived effort where it wanted to be? Was the heart rate where it should have been? And, and if those things aren't right, then we can address fatigue in that sense. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, heart rate, if it's more than, you know, f- 5 or 10 over for, say, you know, 20 minutes, uh, intervals and you, you're probably a little bit worried that there's something going on there and um, you know if you're seeing athletes trying to do vo2 efforts and they're not getting above 70.3 heart rate then again you know you, you're kind of a little bit worried that it's 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 suppressed for some reason and it's probably a good sign to back yeah. off
0: you know what you touched on there with erg mode and like rigidly trying to stick to a number i think that's uh, probably one of the biggest reasons that uh, athletes get too much accumulated fatigue in the first place uh, rather than trying to like just hit, go at the say the uh, the perceived effort for let's say sweet spot intervals or VO2 max intervals and letting the power be what it be, then of course if the if if the power is like way too low, then maybe you don't do the hard workout that day. But but it it should be allowed to to change in in both directions. If if your effort is right, it's uh, it's the same and your heart rate reacts normally. But but that thing with with athletes really always trying to push that number or even like going higher week to week that's probably like what leads to 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 a bit too much uh stress on days when when maybe you should go a little bit easier even though you would do the quality workout and that then in the end leads to too much accumulated fatigue
2: yeah and i don't blame i mean i don't blame the athlete for that i think it's just um it's just a consequence of of the technology and it's been around long enough that now you know there's a lot of athletes that their whole progression through the sport has been through that model. So um, I don't think that, you know, you can, um, you know, blame the athlete for that, whereas you know, athletes that have been around a little longer probably, you know, they, they started out the sport on, you know, if they were doing indoor riding on, say, you know, quote-unquote dumb trainers. But um, in those situations, a lot of the training was around, um, you know, heart rate and power and perceived effort all being integrated into that into that session and, and making calls based on the combination of all three. Um, whereas now, yeah, I think that it is easy to lose um, sight of, of feel for certain effort levels. And that as James touched on, you know, that, that that also is important when you come to races, but that's a whole other can of worms.
1: I think just just going back to the point you made earlier about, uh, you know, actually when is, it, when is training too much, I think, you know, uh, actually looking at, you know, you can't, we've, we've mentioned this a lot today. Uh, you know, you can't just identify one thing and say, look, that you're over, you're over you know, you've, you've got too much fatigue. I think, you know, generally when I look at sessions and, you know, if they have done a bike session, maybe they've done a run session and uh, maybe their VO2 heart rate's been suppressed. Um, you know, maybe they haven't hit their numbers on the bike. Then, then then once you've got a few sessions like that then you, you can definitely say that they've they've become fatigued or you've become fatigued obviously you're trying to avoid that that happening in the first place really uh, and you're trying to make it as consistent as possible but I think mean, it's just avoiding going to one session and you know doing a bike session where you know, maybe your power is down by by 15 watts and you know suddenly you know it's the end of the world you're, you're fatigued you know you've you've overtrained you know you've gone past that point of overreaching I think you know and, you know, athletes are very emotional when it, when it comes to things like that. And, you know, they can be quite reactive off training sessions. But actually, I think just taking that step back and actually looking at things in the bigger picture. And, you know, like you say, if you've got a couple of days where, where actually, you know, you've been fatigued and, you know, your sessions haven't been so good, then, then making that decision to, to you know, to, to pull back a bit on the training and, you know, maybe just bring the volume or the intensity down slightly. Um, but actually, yeah, just, just making sure that, you know, you're not reacting to sessions, and you know you suddenly had one bad session, and actually, it's it's the end of the world. um Just just taking things in the bigger picture, really.
2: Yeah, I think that's great advice. Actually, being able to you know leave a session in the past and and being happy with what you achieved is, is certainly a super important one. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I, I think like I tend to to agree with uh, like like you mentioned, three to four days. I like for me, it's like if there's three consecutive days of something is uh seems to be out of of the norm so it might be perceived effort is much higher performance is much lower and or we might be, have like high resting heart rate low hrv it whatever the the cause for concern might be if we have three consecutive days of cause causes for concern then that's when 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 we need to have a discussion and uh, and then based on that see whether some adjustment is needed and try to identify the the root cause of of the fatigue whether it's training or or something outside of training and uh, make adjustments if needed and and as needed so so i think that that's yeah three days or maybe four days would would be a good rule of thumb but uh but again like you need to look at the big picture and uh and definitely not like have there's no formula or equation and and i don't think there's anything scientific about uh, three days either but it's just that at some point you need to at least make some some sort of root cause analysis or or dig a little bit deeper and that's in my opinion it's been working well to to do it after three days so let me see here Uh, we have a couple of more short-ish questions and uh, uh let's uh let's discuss like how far? This is one something that Sonda mentioned in his uh, follow-up question. Uh, how far should you push in uh, the specific race prep uh, before you go into taper? Like, how if we just discuss this from the perception of like how how much fatigue do you do you feel? Should you feel? Do you think that we in general athletes in general get it right, or are we perhaps pushing too much or or not enough in that period? What, what are your thoughts on on that race specific prep before going into taper?
1: So, so this is, you know, this is one of those things where you go, oh, not that again, but actually, um, for me, it's down to, to the athlete. Um, so actually, you know, if, if you've got a good history of being able to push yourself fairly hard, you know, and actually recover pretty well off the back of, you know, decent amount of training then, and know push yourself to that, to that limit where actually, you know, you are feeling slightly fatigued, uh, you know, not slightly fatigued, quite fatigued before you go into your taper. But then if you've got an athlete who, you know, potentially is you know maybe slightly older or, you know, maybe, you know, doesn't doesn't recover that well off, off a big block of training uh, and likes to be really, really fresh going into races, then, and you know, then actually, you know, make sure you don't push yourself too hard. At the end of the day, you know, consistency, as I keep banging on about is, is what makes you a good athlete. So consistently, consistently training hard or consi- not, not consistently training, hard, consistently training, uh, you know, and following, following a structure that, you know, you know, Brings on your brings on your ability level is what's important. So actually, you know, you shouldn't get to the end of that preparation period and think, look, I've got to smash it now because actually, you know, I'm not I'm not where I need to be. You, know, you should have been consistently building it up to that period. um I think, yeah, you've also got to look at actually, is this is this specific race? Is it is it a key race for me? Was it an A race? And if, if it's an A race, then yeah, okay, it's probably okay to take a bit more rest because actually, you know, you don't mind. You know, not not doing too so much training um, in, into it, and actually, you know, there isn't too much off the back of it that you're you're too worried about. Uh, definitely, being fresh into races is something that you know has a massive impact. And for me, you know, personally, it's it's actually this something that I've been I've been struggling with as an athlete myself. Is actually, you know, it's it's quite remarkable how how fresh you can get um, without without you know without getting unfit. If that, if that makes some sense, if that makes sense, so actually. Being, not being afraid to take that time off and not being afraid to, not, not time off, but not being afraid to, to pull back on the training a bit uh, going into races. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, you want to do yourself, you know, the best service possible as an athlete. Um, so, you know, you want to make sure you, your training you've done has been has been absorbed and actually is is actually going to benefit you on race day.
2: Yeah, look, I, I totally agree there. And I also think, um, you know, if you're getting to that last, Sunday before a week and just praying for the taper, then, you you, you know, I think you're hoping for a bit of a miracle. Um, you know, I think I totally agree with you that learning to be okay with a day off or, um, you know, a, a light day is very important. And, um, you know, I think a lot of uh, age groupers would be really surprised with, um You know, some of the professionals and and the fact that a lot of them do take a full day off or adjust a swim day, um, that kind of thing, it's very common. So um, I think it's really important to know that, that having a day off or an easy day, even once a week, is certainly not something to be frowned upon
0: i think that uh the way you put it there with like if you get to the sunday before the race and praying for taper start then yeah that that's spot on then you <laughs> know that you probably overdid it a bit when with, with your combination of of pushing pushing a bit too hard or and not having enough time to recover i think that's something that i think that i see like i see in a lot of age groupers that uh Sure, you might you can have a block when you push hard, but actually, then it takes more than a week to to fully recover from that and get fresh. So you will probably need a two week taper, uh, at least for that. And some professionals they start the tapering three weeks out from their key race. Something like, like Kona might might start three weeks out from for for some of those athletes.
2: Yeah, look, I'm I'm only talking for ex- from experience. I've been there. I've definitely been on the Sunday praying for a taper, and uh, I can tell you from my n equals one, it has never worked
0: yeah yeah and i think that one thing that we let's actually because lucky you have a coaching call coming up so we need to wrap up with some final take-home messages and practical advice so uh, let's uh, start with with you lucky and then you can jump off whenever you need to uh, so thank you in advance for for coming on here but what's your final take-home message and advice to the listeners
2: Look, I think probably if I could take one thing away from this, it would be what I just said, and don't be afraid um, to take some time to adapt to the training because you know training is one thing, but actually adapting to it is another, and and that's what we want. If we're not getting adaptations to the training, then it's it's really quite useless apart from you know just being fun, which don't get me wrong is very important. Um, but I think you know trusting in yourself to to back off. Um, is a really important thing and I very very rarely see an athlete that um you know trusts themselves too much to back off you know everyone who I see and uh, especially you know in age racing you know they could certainly do with a little bit more recovery so I think you just need to be you know really confident to to take that
0: James
1: what uh, would you like to end with um so yeah similar message I just think you know as an athlete you've got to be you got to be prepared to take that recovery and actually you know make sure that you, know, you are getting the best out of your training so you know, you're training hard but actually making sure you're getting you're getting that time to, ad- to adapt i think as an athlete you want to you want to make sure that you don't you don't repeat mistakes and let's be honest there will be times you know no matter who you are where you you have pushed too far and actually making sure that you identify the factors of, you know, what, what scores that and, you know, what, what that feel like, and actually making sure you, you don't repeat it again. I mean, if you make a mistake once, then that, that's, that's, you know, it's a learning experience. If you're making a mistake more than once, then, then it's something that, you know, you probably should have, should have identified, and, you know, you, you could, you know, you could have done better, really. Um, so just, just taking every opportunity you can to learn about yourself, and learn about, actually, this is how it feels, you know, this is what my data looks like when I'm getting fatigued, this is what, this is what works for me, this is, you know, what, what what allows me to be consistent in training and actually applying that um, you know, on a weekly basis? Yeah, well, 100% agree with, with both of you. Uh, I'll add one one thing, and
0: that is that uh, your body has no idea what you had planned, what, what you set your training schedule to be or what your coach set your training schedule to be or what your uh, pre-made training plan uh, says that you should do. It only knows what you're actually doing. So uh, again, don't be afraid to adjust based on on how you feel but also those uh, other objective and, and some subjective markers because there's no perfect training plan and uh, but adjusting and adapting to the training to to optimize for maximum adaptation rather than maximum training is, is the goal of, of training and that's that's how you'll do do really well so thanks guys for coming on it was a, a great discussion and uh, we'll uh, have uh, another discussion probably in in a few weeks time again because i really enjoy doing these episodes with you so thank you great thanks michael speak to you soon hope that you enjoyed that episode as usual you can find the show notes on that and you can find links to related episodes including previous episodes with uh, Lockie and james as well as The episode on non-functional overreaching that I did with uh, Cyril Schmidt in episode 159. Let us know what you think of these coaches roundtables. We're very eager to hear your feedback and how we can make them even better and more enjoyable and educational for you. If you do like them and if you like the podcast in general, rating and review on iTunes or the podcast platform of your choice would be amazing. Uh, So please do that if you haven't already and if you get value from the podcast. It only takes a minute, but it means a massive amount for the podcast and in helping it be discovered by by more athletes and triathletes in particular. Big thanks before we go to Roca that you can find on roca.com. Take 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. And thank you to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Get a free hydration plan and get your first box or tube of Precision Hydration electrolytes for free with the promo code THATS Show all one word, ALL CAPS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.